Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. Uh, more importantly, I have the pleasure today of having a conversation with a fascinating figure in our field, Dr. Shravana Borkataki Varma. She is an historian, an educator, a social entrepreneur. Um, she does some fascinating research on um, Hindu Shakta uh, goddess traditions. Um, she is currently um, um, uh, at the Center for the Study of World Religions fellow at Harvard Divinity School at Harvard University. And we'll talk a bit more about her her forthcoming publications, as well as some of her fascinating work. Um, 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 teaching online um, uh, sounds familiar. I know a thing or two about teaching online, and so does uh, Shravana. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Raj. Thank you so much for the invitation. Um, I was quite pleasantly surprised when you reached out to me because I was like, my books are not out yet. How come Raj wants to speak with me? So uh, thank you. I, I really am honored and I feel very privileged to be here. Yes, yes, yes. You're, you're most welcome. In addition to covering monographs, there are a number of podcasts where we cover topics, developments, conferences. We'll have a conversation with, with someone such as yourself who, you know, uh, in my view, is, 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 is a walking development, right? You're part of what's developing in the field and what's brewing in different ways. And, and um, I suspect you're much ahead of a curve that many of us will be on before too, too long. But let's maybe first focus a little bit on your scholarship. Uh, a rumor has it you have four book projects on the go. <laughs> um, do you want to say a little bit about your scholarship, uh, maybe forthcoming scholarly production, so those who are so interested can, can, can get, you know, the, 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 their intellects might be fed and then we'll, we'll, we'll touch on some other areas of your life? Absolutely. Um, so I have, yes, uh, rumor usually is incorrect, but here rumor is correct. Um, I, I have been a um, slow writer and uh, the reason is it has taken me, it's, it's been an emotional, spiritual and kind of an embodied journey for me to come to a place and a space to write about the communities I write about. Um, the I'm a scholar practitioner. In fact, I was a practitioner before I became a scholar. And then I became a scholar, I lost my practice, and then I came back to becoming a scholar practitioner. And I can speak more about that if you wish to. But um, so essentially, I'm kind of writing about my own life in many ways than one. I'm writing about the communities that I work with. And these are extremely liminal, marginal sometimes. And, uh, and for, um, for a large majority, the, the narrative that has been spun around humans in the goddess tradition have kind of, in the goddess tantra tradition has kind of got bifurcated between empowerment or abuse. And I'm taking the stand and now more so in, um, you know, uh, 
verbally and in my written uh, work is to say that I think I've got it wrong. It's not that simple bifurcation and binary of abuse and, uh, and empowerment. Um, so yes, so I have uh, two edited volume, uh, one co-written book and one monograph and one digital, uh, one special issue. Uh, so I'm going to go in the chronology that they are. So uh, in August of 2022, uh, which is in a few two months from now or so, um, we have uh, with the International Journal of Hindu Studies, which is the Springer publication, um, uh, a colleague of mine and I, we're, uh, we're coming out with a special issue called Digital Tantra, uh, which is introducing a new research field because when we started looking and kind of working more in the digital space, um, we realized something else is kind of going on with, with Tantra. So. That is coming up in August. Uh, we are about to uh, submit a 23 chapter edited volume on living folk religions um, that is uh, uh, going to get into production in September of this year. So I'm hoping by early next year, we should have that. Uh, after which I have kind of promised three submissions. <laughs> But we will see how that goes. Uh, one is titled Religious Responses to the Pandemic and Crisis, Isolation, Survival, and Hashtag COVID Chaos. Uh, this is, again, an edited volume. Um, uh, the co-written book is with a colleague, uh, which is titled The Serpent's Tale, Kundalini and History of an Experience. And finally, my monograph, long overdue, but as I said, I'm kind of spiritually, emotionally, physically ready to talk about it, uh, is titled uh, Divinized Divas, Superwomen, Wives, Hijras, and Hindu Shakta Tantra. So um, that's kind of what's brewing at my end. <laughs> Yeah, one of the one of the many things that stand out to me. I mean, even when we cover monographs, you know, my my role, my dharma, as I see it, is to take a thirty thousand foot view. Talk about um, often um, 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 guests will come away saying, "Wow, I understand my monograph a bit better in terms of its its relevance beyond the niche." And so, one of the things that strikes me about what you say is this holistic paradigm, this mm -hmm. acknowledgement and insistence. Um, uh, the, the, on being a person, a spiritual person, an emotional person, an intellectual person, this 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 sort of resistance to to compartmentalize or bifurcate the way that can sometimes be the case and often be the case in scholarship. So, um, could you comment a bit about that and talk about um, your spirituality or or your your your, your the, the tradition that that you uh, were trained in, and particularly at some point, tell us a bit about whether or not. What does it look like uh, having these two citizenships, if you will, the academic and the spiritual? And, and is there a challenge? Is there a tension? You know, what does that look like for you? So I'm going to kind of address what you asked at the end first, the two citizenships, and then kind of dovetail that into the monograph. Um, for me, and I am not for once uh, generalizing this for everybody. I'm not making any kind of meta claims. I'm just speaking about me as an individual. Your and experience. My experience. And what I've come to realize now over the last six years of more and more actively being in the public space, speaking about it, there are more people than I thought who have kind of my experience than not. Um, 
So I was born into the tradition. Um, so it was not something I chose or, but you know, what is choice? Let's talk about that, right? Then comes what is agency and what, you know, what, what, can we really think about the spiritual path as a choice? Is there free will? I mean, we can go into all kinds of conversations from here, but essentially I was born, I'm from Assam, India, which is one of the states in the Eastern part of India. And so my family comes from there. Uh, I was born there. And um, what I think now after having spent uh, good 12 years in the academia in the United States, studying my own tradition. Um, I think what I had as, you know, as a child would be considered or categorized as I, the clairvoyance or clairaudience or kind of a combination. So that's kind of where it all began. And uh, in our family, as in many Indian families, uh, we uh, there is this tradition of making horoscopes. Uh, so in my horoscope, uh, it was predicted that I will become a guru and I will have my temple. So I was supposed to be in this kind of a guru path. Now, I've, I believe I'm a very good negotiator. So I have negotiated to say, don't give me a temple, give me university, don't give me devotees, give me students. So that's kind of uh, where I have arrived at. But um, having born and having these kind of uh, experiences at the, at the age of about eight, eight and a half is when I was given the first diksha, the first level of initiation. Uh, this was in the goddess tradition. I didn't come from a temple family. I did not come from a, from a, uh, from a family history of many people taking initiation at that age. Having said that, you know, how stories are there. Are, I believe my, one of my grandmas had uh, initiation. I had no way of uh, confirming that. So I kind of started as a little girl at, at eight. And so life went on. Um, and then I took uh, this, the the uh, you know the Abhishekam as uh, as it's put um, um, at the age of about 15, 15 and a half. So by this time I was very very much embedded in the uh, in the Kamakya lineage. Kamakya is again one of the Shakti Peet in a, in Assam in the Nilachal Mountains. So kind of kind of, you know, life went on. I mean, I never questioned anything. I didn't think there was anything unique about me. I assume everybody goes through an initiation. I assume my sister had it, my mother had it. it and that was the beauty of it. And it is so, I really now have come to appreciate that so much because it was, it was my normal. I did not ever realize there was something different going on in my life. And so that's kind of how things went on. And then from there, I didn't want to become, you know, because there was, I didn't meet any, 
any Shakta Tantra guru woman at that time, right? So I didn't have a role model. Uh, but given that I always had this kind of a bent of mind, uh, I, I kind of leaned more towards Buddhism. So I decided to become a nun uh, in the Buddhist tradition. Um, and then when it came to donning the cloth, um, I had lots of questions and I still have lots of questions for which I've not found answers. So then once I gave that up, uh, that was another experience of otherness that happened so suddenly, it was kind of overnight, you were, you were so much integral to the community. And then one overnight, now you're, you're like, discarded, you're like, you know, thrown out of the community, because you've decided not to don the cloth. Um, so that went from there, I decided to find a job uh, and, and get something, uh, you know, more meaningful. So joined the corporate world, got an MBA, thought I'm going to become, you know, stay with that, but here I am. Um, and so in 2009 is when I unofficially started my PhD program. Officially, I started in 2010 at Rice uh, University, which is in Houston, Texas. And um, that is when, for the first time in my life, I was now studying what I had, what I was practicing. I was now looking at the tradition from, from scholarship, from written work, from written work that was not scripture, from written work that was not ritual, but actual analysis and methodology. I've never read anything until then. Um, about my own tradition from that lens. And that kind of really led me to uh, a, a very confusing, um, you know, kind of a mind frame um, to a point where I, I actually asked uh, my advisor, uh, who's now my mentor, uh, Jeffrey Kripal, and um, I asked him, I said, I'm from that tradition. I don't feel empowerment or abuse. So what is going on? And that's where my, you know, my literally my academic, personal, spiritual um, 2.0, uh, if you were to put it that way, began. So that's where I am today. So um, another fascinating thing that you had said uh, at the outset was moving that you just touched on at the end of this uh, response um, was, uh, uh, so one of the things that um, I really feel is needed and, and called to do my own scholarship in different ways is uh, transcending the binaries with which people look at the Hindu goddess and Hindu goddess traditions, you know, the, 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 the um, Raudra versus Saumya, the, 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 the breast goddess versus tooth, the consort, versus, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you said something fascinating that hasn't occurred to me in my particular research, but tell us more about this transcending or moving beyond um, the power, the, the, the empowerment, disempowerment duad. Like, tell us more about that. So, when we look at, okay, so when we look at this goddess um, tantra space, and we'll just stick with the goddess tantra space, but it applies as much to the Shava or the Vaishnava, um, uh, or, you know, the, 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 the reformed uh, Hindu organizations, but no matter where we look, uh, we are talking about humans, we are talking about people, we are talking about 
people who live lives, uh, who, who have to put food on the table, who have to, you know, go stand in a line because now it's kids have are coming back from school, who have to, you know, who get sick and so on and so forth. Like these are human people. These are human beings. And when we look at these humans at play, yes, I would say a fairly large majority um, have a very have a relationship with the space that is more of um, kind of they look at look at their relationship with the goddess with this kind of a sacred lens, right? They pray, uh, they they go to the temples, they would do rituals, they would do pujas, um, they would uh, you know they would have a pandit or we in Assam call it deos, uh, who would kind of be the intermediary between the divine and the human. So there is. Okay, so a majority is in that category. Great, so let's put that aside. But there is a category now that is kind of a combination, which is an, either an official intermediary, which means officially they've taken a stand of becoming being a guru or a priestess or a priest and so forth, or they are gurumas or, or tantra, you know, spiritual partners and so forth. So they have a very, very specialized, highly trained um, role, which also they're performing as they're also living in the society. When I look at that population, and that is the population I came from, we then, if I were to map it to the scholarship of people like Hugh Urban, Joan McDaniel, Laurel Abenarchy, Rachel McDermott, I mean, you, a long list of people, I kind of see this bifurcation. I kind of see in the tone, either they, uh, you know, they've seen this world of, of this, this kind of people, which is not, uh, which is not just having this relationship with the goddess, but they have a very active role in, in engaging with the goddess, engaging with the divine, to have this kind of uh, 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 empowerment, unempowerment, non-empowerment abuse narrative. And I came from this. This was my world. This is now my world, right? So when I looked back, I didn't feel either. I never felt empowered in any way in the sense, when I say empowered, Yes, maybe empowered in the ritual sense when I'm doing my own ritual. That's a very personal empowerment, but never a social power, social authority, authenticity. Um, none of this, uh, you know, we, I've ne I never looked at the space from the lens of Foucault's power dynamics, for example, right? I didn't, and I never felt it. And yet I'm as much a human as everybody else. And that's kind of what led me to then say, okay, wait a minute. When I then wait, did a wait a minute moment, I then realized in this kind of group, majority are men, majority are men, but there are women. Women are uh, wives of uh, uh, male gurus. There are women gurus. Then there are uh, what I'm calling Tantra wives, but spiritual partners. And then there is the third gender, the Hijras. They are there. So now when I take 
that category or that subcategory of the subcategory out of it. Again, I am a woman. I identify myself as she, her in my social space. And I do know in a ritual space when I don't experience myself as a pure female or a pure male, I do realize in a ritual space, I, I experience a much more fluid gender identity, right? But I'm still part of that sub sub subcategory and that's when I started questioning more saying okay what about women's bodies what about women's experiences what about um, you know how does it how does it feel to be a wife of a male guru what does it feel to be a spiritual partner what happens to my agency my physical agency my spiritual pursuit what happens to women and I end my uh, dissertation and I've in many, uh, uh, one article as well and maybe my monograph at some point I, I may end it with that saying women do miss the moksha boat because women are told they don't need to practice so much and that for me is a problem one of the intriguing things about what you do at least from where I, where I stand perhaps for obvious reasons is that you are interested in teaching beyond just the academic paradigm beyond just undergrad or, or, or grad students, you know, you seem to have, from what I can tell from your portfolio, an avid interest in teaching the public. Could you say a bit about that? Um, what drives you, you know, what is your relationship to that? And maybe say a little bit about where do you think that fits into the academic enterprise and what's going on about it? So I did I guess it was a blessing now when I look back. I didn't. Um, I did get a, 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 a tenure line position as soon as I graduated uh, from my PhD, and for personal reasons, I had to decline it. And then I, I kind of for the last uh, 2016 to 2020, so almost four years, I was adjuncting in many places. Because I was adjuncting in many places, I kind of one thing led to the other and I started teaching in public more. And what I realized was several things. One, a lot of the goddess tantra seeker are actually practitioners and they don't have the time or the energy or even the need to go and get a degree uh, uh, or, a, or, a, or a PhD uh, in, um, in, in any of these goddess tradition, right? A lot of them are physicians. They are, um, you know, they, they work for multinational companies. So, but they are deep, seekers and they are hungry to get um you know true what 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 they would say is both sides of the spectrum of course they they get the practice side because they're practitioners themselves but they are, they're really hungry for uh the the scholarship or or how does this come together and i think the more i started meeting them the more i started teaching the more i saw the benefit and I learned so much, Raj, from my public. In fact, much more uh, than uh, what I learned from my undergrads. Because the questions are just so um, they're so on point, but also so unique from their perspective. That, yes. You know what I hear in you. I mean, we have different terms for it, but I, you know, 
uh, have a real passion for continuing education, for adult yeah. learning, for, for non-credit learning. And I think uh, 20, 2010, the year, I, the year I started my master's part-time, I, was, I started teaching at the University of Toronto School of Continuing Studies. And uh, a decade or so later, I ended up at the, the, the Oxford Centre for Hindu Studies teaching folks who are, you know, they're looking for an academic paradigm, mm-hmm. but they're not coming at it with just a, not necessarily a, a, a materialistic worldview or certainly not a need to please mom and your daddy or get a job. And they're really coming at it because they, they're looking for, um, for nourishment, intellectual, spiritual, emotional, vocational mm-hmm. sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and um yeah, I find it so fascinating. I mean, uh, irrespective of what happens with uh, uh, what happens with my, my my path in the professoriate, uh, I'll never give up continuing studies teaching. It's mm-hmm. so enriching. It's, it's it's very powerful. And, and and you give you give them a reading. They read that that article or that book chapter with so much dedication. Such. You know, and and sometimes they're on. I love their honesty. They'll be like, I only read two out of the 30 pages, but the two pages that they read, they read. Because they're not reading for a grade. They're not reading to, you know, to pass the course and get the credit. So me neither. I am not giving up. If anything, I've, I've just increased my public presence a lot because... I learned so much from them. It's it's also very selfish. Yeah. Speaking of of uh, public presence, you know, what is it like for you? <laughs> I'm asking this. It's hilarious. I'm asking this. It came to mind to ask this to you because <laughs> I was doing um, a public talk um, um, uh, at uh, Michigan State University on um, Indian spirituality and the ways in mm. which it's it's used in my particular coaching spiritual counsel practice. But one of the questions from an astute uh, member of the audience <laughs> was, you know, what is it like being a public facing intellectual? Now, I, I don't particularly think of myself in those terms, but I understand why <laughs> to, why that would be the case from the outside. And so, um, so I'll ask you the same thing. You know, what is that like for you? And is that something that, is that a goal of yours? Is that difficult? Is it something that, my questions are always meant to be generative, not confining, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, public intellectuals and your path in the academy, uh, what do you think? Um, again, for me, and this is purely me, it's tricky. I'm still learning, I'm still navigating. End of the day, I'm a brown woman teaching Shakta Tantra in North America. So you can only imagine um, what kind of stereotypes that come my way. Uh, I think, so one of the first thing I had to do very, very clearly, um, and it was, it kind of happened one day without my, like, you know, I didn't think that much, but when I reflected upon it, um, is to set my boundaries very clearly, uh, because uh, a lot of times, uh, Tantra, as you know, uh, as well as I do, does get attached to Neo Tantra or California Tantra, as sometimes it's named. And with that, there is this overtly, uh, you know, focus on sexualized rituals, the sexual, uh, sexual act, um, and so forth. And so 
that was one of my first challenges to to kind of navigate and say okay this is not who I am in fact it happened with my first course with yogic studies I was kicked out of Facebook because they kept telling me that I'm trying to sell pornography uh, and uh, and that was because it was uh, the title oh of the course yeah. was Hindu Shakta Tantra and and they said I was, it, you know, I, it's, I, I it's was hilarious. It just, it's but hilarious. Also, but it's also very infuriating because you well, come. I just, just very, very quickly. Sorry to interrupt. I have not done any sort of. Um, um, uh, how to say um, uh, uh, sort of cold marketing or, or, or I, I tried Facebook ads once and it was over over the winter and the beginning of this year just once to see if there was an opportunity to scale you know what I do at the School of Indian Wisdom etc right. and it was hilarious I was uh, all all of what I was doing was blocked on Facebook there you go. because yeah. they were tagging it as uh, provocative they were tagging it as cultural appropriation they were tagging it as like the image was w- wasn't appropriate it was an actual you know um, uh, sadhaka doing practice uh, and I was thinking to myself yeah when when the person who actually has the academic and spiritual training is blocked this platform is not for me <laughs> anyhow please continue oh and I always make this 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 only half joke when I when I teach on tantric traditions that you know um if you want good sex or black magic or do that <laughs> tantra is much more than that yeah exactly and 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 the kind of and and so just so that I I, I had a record I wrote to everybody Mark Zuckerberg onwards I just email everyone okay and only because I was like Oh my God, this is exactly what we're trying. I mean, talk of colonial, oriental, you know, the Western, Victorian gaze. I mean, talk about it. We are living it. So that was my first, uh, you know, first thing to navigate. My second thing to navigate, and that's why I think from a timing standpoint, I kind of have really stepped up now. Now my uh, daughter is in college, she's older. So, you know, I... I feel a lot more comfortable being, you know, myself uh, talking about the topics I speak about in public because I feel she and I now have a relationship where I can have a conversation. She will understand, she understands me a lot more than she would have uh, when we were in middle school, for example, right? So, but it is, it's this, it's this, you know, as a, what we have to, deal with in terms of our personal space, in terms of um, even explaining your sexual preferences. I'm like, I have never explained myself ever so much as I did in the last year, year and a half. It is ridiculous, Raj, ridiculous. But You mentioned in passing that you perhaps uh, cut your teeth a little bit on a lovely platform called yogic studies and for the record i've said this before i'll say this again uh seth powell does not give me a kickback i actually really love yogic studies <laughs> i think i think he's i think he's 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 sort of um innovating with a with with a really useful model for for um humanity scholars who, who want to teach anyhow um uh it's no secret to my audience that i heart yogic studies and i've now done a couple of courses there and so have you tell us a bit about what folks can perhaps study with you there and of course we'll include the links in the podcast notes as well 
So there is a course that I'm currently teaching. It is called as Women and Gender in Shakta Tantra. It's actually um, the four modules are my four book chapters. Uh, so uh, one of the first one we uh, module is in the Hijras um, to Kinners. Uh, second one was in Tantra Wife, which is spiritual partners. Third module is Gurumas, which is wife of male gurus. And fourth are my superwoman gurus. So uh, that's the course why. 120 and yogic studies 108 was the facebook example we were sharing uh, which was on hindu shakta tantra so just kind of a broad foundational course on hindu shakta tantra so that's kind of what it, i've done isn't it so fascinating uh, and useful when one um dovetails research and research interests with teaching and and sort of trying things out in the classroom i'll tell you the the, the 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 second and course that I did at Yoga Studies not too too long ago was uh, just an intro to the Vedi Mahatmya. Uh, it, it's very strange. I've been teaching on the text for a very long time. There's nowhere but Yogic Studies where I actually do a close reading of the uh, through a literary lens, and it was through teaching that course there that I saw the need for and ended up churning out. A new translation of the text because mm. it, it became clear to me as you know, I'm a huge fan of Thomas Coburn his translation is is um, for the most part a, of course a, rigor, a rigorous scholarly translation having said that things don't always land for students mm. and so just that experience was invaluable for actually I wouldn't have decided to translate the baby Mahatmya no. uh, in this generation were it not for those students if you can believe it um. Totally. In fact, I told my editor um, in the press where I'm hoping everything goes well, I actually said, I'm going to do this and then start submitting stuff to you because the questions, it all comes down to the questions, the questions that this audience asks. And, and sometimes you thought you said it very clearly and then you're looking at their comments you're like wait how did you arrive at this this is not what i meant but then we go back and we realize there's so much that you know because we've been reading and writing and reading and writing and practicing our own thing we forget to explain sometimes, right? I mean, but oh my God, I love, again, I also don't get any payback from yogic studies. <laughs> I, I should also mention that because, uh, yeah, Seth, I mean, Seth has done such a fabulous job, but I love, Ag I love. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, I, I've learned so much from these students. It's, it's, in, it's just priceless, literally priceless. So much so that, um, I, I won't be doing a yogic studies course, probably, unless it's entirely, you know, at my, my own school, unless it's entirely sort of um, from an emic paradigm, perhaps. Um, also, or, or Sanskrit studies, like, why would I teach Sanskrit when, I'm, you know, Antonia was born for this, and she's doing a fantastic job, among others. Right. I mean, so I really like this sort of um, division of labor and sort of folks can go to different platforms for their needs. Yeah. Right. Um, so in addition to your courses at yogic studies, where else upcoming can folks study with you perhaps or have some kind of experience with you? So I teach in person. These are a weekend or week-long retreats at Esalen Institute, which is in Big Sur. Um, I started uh, this year, so I'm now 
this year I am offering five workshops. We've completed two. There are three coming up. One is in August where we are going to look at mandalas and the macrocosm and the relationship of the microcosm. Uh, September at Esalen, uh, again, we, I'm uh, co-teaching. Uh, so the, uh, my Tantra series, which is uh, we finished two and the two are being co-taught with Keith Cantu. I am sure you know him. Um, and so August and November are two more workshops on Tantra. And uh, I, in between in September, I'm doing this course with Bikram Chandra. I don't know if you know him, he's the author of Sacred Games, which also became a popular Netflix series. Um, and that we are doing uh, on embodied writing. So, um, so at Esalen uh, Institute, you can absolutely come and spend time with us in person. And online, largely, I've stayed with yogic studies. We'll include links for for all of that in the podcast notes. Um, I realize that uh, time is limited today, and that you have a, uh, another commitment soon. Um, but was there anything else that you wanted to share, or say, or touch on over the course of our conversation? I think to the larger audience uh, who seek the goddess, who seek uh, the goddess either from uh, the path of Tantra or non-Tantra path, it doesn't matter. I, I, I do would like to reach out to the, uh, to the seekers of the goddess um, is, you know, I, one of, I have two or three, I don't have too many meta goals, but one of my big, big meta objective is to, is to drive, and if I can even get five people to agree and then 50 and then 500 and 5,000, is to say that the goddess is, the, you know, I've always called her like your BFF, best friend forever, right? Um, it is not, you know, any time when we get into this paradigm of, um, oh, if I don't do this, uh, the goddess will be mad or something bad will happen to me, or we get into any kind of a super, what I would call superstition, but maybe not, you know, superstition is again a, a kind of a reductive way of looking at it. But anytime, anytime, any moment, if, um, if as a seeker, as a practitioner, you feel there is a fear element coming in and a fear of something bad will happen comes in, I would say, just stop, pause and realign, recalibrate, reassess because the goddess is loving. Of course, like anybody, you know, all of us have different moments where we get mad or happy or sad and so forth, but it's never, no divines ask us to, to have this relationship of fear. Uh, and the second is the divine is not outside of us. She or he or they are very, very much within us. The blueprint is within us. So I would really like to um, emphasize that because that leads to all kinds of things, relationship with the teacher, relationship with the guru, relationship with the divine, relationship with the temple, relationship with the text. Um, I think a lot can be spoken from there on. That's a lovely um, set of ideas to end on. Thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you so much.
for those of you listening, we have, of course, been speaking with Dr. Shavana Prabhupada Varma. Um, you can learn more about her scholarship, her social entrepreneurship, her teaching at uh, shravana.me in the podcast notes. Um, until next time, stay safe, stay sane, keep listening, and keep contemplating the power of the goddess. Take care. <laughs>